2 Kings 5, 1 through 15. And it reads as this. Now, Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. And he was a great man. Notice where he says he's a great man. In the sight of his master and highly regarded. Because through him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now, bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from where? From Israel. And she served... Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. And Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver. 6,000 shekels of gold and 10 sets of clothing. Or excuse me, the letter he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter, I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of leprosy. Now, Father, we pray that you would add a blessing to the reading of your word. I pray that you would open up our eyes to see and our spirits to understand what your word has for us today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of my message today is There's a Prophet in the House. And let me give a little bit of background on this passage today. Naaman is a successful, and I want you to notice this, a successful pagan commander of the army of what would be modern-day Syria. His lifetime would overlap people such as Ahab and Jezebel. Syria is on the northern border of Israel. When you stand right here, this is on the border of Israel and Syria. Right down there is Syria. From that vantage point, that is why the capital city of Damascus is about 34 miles from this location. And that's what separates what's happening in Syria right now. Who's in Syria? ISIS. ISIS is in Syria. They control portions of the country. This is why... Benjamin Netanyahu gets all fired up about these terrorist things because this is what separates Israel from Syria. Does that look like much of a separation? That's one of the places that we stood. There's an ice cream stand up there right close to it, okay? And these are old fortified positions where they could still put some men in those places. This is in the area called the Golan Heights. As I said, it's about 30 miles from the capital, a little over 30 miles from the capital city of Damascus. Throughout Israel's history... When Israel turned away from God, what would happen? You guys know what happened. What would happen? They'd be attacked. They'd be taken into bondage. When they rejected God, God would allow them to experience the consequences of rejecting him. He said, I'll fight for you. I'll be your God. I'll be your defender. But if you don't want me to be your defender, I'll take my hands back. And you go ahead and defend yourself. If you don't want me to to protect you, if you don't want me to provide for you, I don't have to do that. I want to do that. I'm pleading with you to allow me to be your protector, to allow me to be your shield. But if you choose to force me not to be your shield, then I will take a step back and I'll let you fight your own battles. That was the time that Israel was in at this time. They chose to reject God. And when they did, there would be guys like Naaman leading raids into Israel. And it took young girls captives as slaves. 
Does that sound familiar with anything that's taking place in the Middle East today? One of these young girls who was taken as a slave ended up being a servant in Naaman's house. And she served Naaman's wife. And she told her mistress, she said, if only your husband would see the man of God in Samaria, he would be able to heal him of that leprosy. Well, the funny thing is, is there's no recorded accounts of Elisha healing Israelites of leprosy. Maybe he did and it wasn't recorded, but this young lady, this young girl who was in captivity had a faith to believe that if my master, if Naaman would go and see the prophet of God, if she would see the man of God who dwells in Samaria, then he would be healed. So Naaman tells his king about it. He goes to his king because Naaman was a top military ruler, leader. He goes to his king and God gave Naaman victories, but God gave the Israelites over into his hand. That doesn't mean that Naaman was a spiritual guy. It doesn't mean that Naaman is a good guy. Naaman would probably be one of the guys who we would say, he's a bad dude. He's a bad guy. So Naaman tells his king, and the king says, sure, I'll write a letter to the king of Israel, and I'll tell him to go ahead and cure you of leprosy. Naaman took with him 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 royal outfits, and he goes with him to see the king of Israel. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robe, the scripture says, in verse 7. Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? What does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. Now, the funny thing is, is that carnal, backslidden king was shaking in his boots. What are they trying to do? Are they trying just to pick a fight with me? Are they trying to find another reason to attack us? I can't cure anybody of leprosy. What can I do about that? Elisha says, you send him to me, and they'll know that there is a prophet in Israel. Now, a prophet is one who speaks or proclaims a message on behalf of a deity, on behalf of the Lord. It's the one who stands up and says with authority, thus says the Lord. Now, he doesn't have to yell it. We sometimes think he has a little bit more authority when he yells. You know what I mean? We somehow think that it gets our attention a little bit. Maybe if he had just yelled it a little bit louder, then we would say, yes, I feel it. Yes, that's authority. He doesn't have to yell because he carries the authority to declare the very word of the Lord. You don't have to yell whenever you're walking in authority. Like I say, it's kind of cool when they do, but he doesn't have to. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots in verse 9, and he stopped at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. I want you to have this picture in your mind. Here, Elisha is at his small home in the region of Samaria. And this big fancy entourage that has just come from visiting the king's presence arrive outside of Elisha's home. Elisha does not get up or go out to meet him. Typically, if you are in that culture, and someone is traveling, the culture of that time, 
Hospitality is a huge thing in that time. How you treat visitors, huge, huge thing. Even if you don't like them, you treat them good, okay? When they're at your home, you would protect them and provide for them. But Elisha does not even get up. He simply declares to him the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord is this. Go dip seven times in the Jordan River and you'll be healed. When I was a kid, I had an idea that Elisha had a riverfront home. I don't know why I thought that. Maybe it was the flannel graphs. Did any of you ever see them? The flannel graphs somehow told me that Elisha was in a riverfront. He had a riverfront home and that he's there and he's like, listen, don't even, you know, hey, just go out back. Don't worry about it. Just go out, go through the gate, go in the backyard, climb down the steps from the deck into the river. We have a photo here for you of the Jordan River. You know, the funny thing is, is a lot of times we think of the Jordan River. This is one of those places close to where they do the majority of the baptizing over there where people will take them to to be baptized. It's like a real scenic place. We think, I always thought of the Jordan River being like the Mississippi or the Susquehanna. You know, some places in the Susquehanna, it's really wide. It's huge. Jordan River is small. The ford, the river, like you can walk across it. You know what I mean? It's, It's more like the Conestoga that runs through Ernie's property. That's really more what the Jordan River is like. It's not, it's not some huge, massive river that you can't swim across. And so he says to him, you know, go, go down and dip. I, like I said, I'm thinking it's the backyard. I'm thinking maybe he has some pool things there, some floaties for the kids. You know, the, those flannel graphs, they'll throw you off. Here's the reality. The Jordan River was 25 miles away, at least 25 miles away from where he was. And so what we have here is he's saying to him, just go ahead, go down there another 25 miles. You go find the Jordan and dip and you'll be healed. Elisha was not impressed with this man. He wasn't impressed with his big entourage. He wasn't impressed with his chariots. He wasn't impressed with his position. And a prophet of God is not going to be impressed by fleshly, earthly things. His title, his connection, his entourage. In preparation for this, I read 17 different commentaries on this portion of scripture. And I didn't hear one of them say this, but I really feel that it's true. Why wouldn't he be impressed with him? First of all, he was a man of God and he saw through things. He understood. But how do you feel? How would you feel about someone who kidnaps little girls and carries them off from their parents? And make some slaves. You got a lot of good stuff in your heart for people like that? They take little girls and and steal them away and carry them off and make them slaves. That's not the kind of people you hear about the Boko Haram, people like that. You know, when you think about them, it's kind of hard to have like goosebump feelings in your heart for them. It's kind of hard to feel like real, you know, real excited about seeing them. Okay? They're not someone who you get real excited about. They're not someone who you necessarily want to spend all of your time with. But Naaman went away angry and he said, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord, his God. Wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana, Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned away and went away in a rage. Both the messenger and the message offended Naaman. He had these preconceived ideas of how the man of God should operate. 
This carnal man feels he has the right to tell the man of God how to fulfill his calling. It's like the fan that loses his breath walking from the recliner to the refrigerator trying to tell the professional athlete how to play football. They know how the football player should play. They know how the quarterback should throw. They know how the coach should coach. When he doesn't, like what the man of God says, he gets mad and he runs away. And he says stuff like, who does he think he is? Well, he knows who he is. He's God's man. He's not impressed by you, Naaman. He's been called by God and he's been anointed by God to speak on God's behalf. And if Naaman would listen, he might learn something. But instead he's offended and he starts complaining. They are no better than me. I have a nicer river than their river. Why would I come down here? He was offended because the man of God did not do what he thought he should do. That's a real message for us. And I always feel like, you know, you got to be nice to people. You know, my parents taught me, you be nice and you be kind. The prophet, he just said, here's the word of the Lord. This is what you're to do. He didn't go around and spoon feeding before he told it. You know what I mean? He didn't say, well, come on in, Naaman, lift up your feet. We'll have someone else come in and give you a foot massage before we give you the message. We want to make sure that it's okay for you to receive it. No, he simply declared to him the word of the Lord. If you want to be healed, head on down to the Jordan River, dip seven times and God will heal you. Here's the difference between a foolish man like Naaman and a wise man like Jeremiah. Jeremiah 15, 16 said, when your words came, I ate them. And they were my joy and my heart's delight. For I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. David said, how sweet are your words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Psalms 19 says, the decrees of the Lord are firm and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than much pure cold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. Some people don't like the message, so they reject it. They don't like how it's worded. They don't want to hear it. That's how Naaman was. You didn't do it the way I thought you should. You didn't present it the way I thought you should. You didn't do what I I had in my heart, in my mind, that you should do. I feel disrespected because you didn't do that. But when the word of the Lord comes, you and I need to obey it. Others devalue the messenger and miss out on the blessing. When people become familiar with the messenger, they sometimes lose the reverence that's due them. Oh, that's just, and then they say the person's name. Oh, that's just, and and you fill in the blank. That's just the Sunday school teacher. That's just the pastor. That's just Pastor Ronnie. That's just Pastor Joe. That's just Pastor Weed. That's just Pastor Richie. I had lunch with them last week. No, my friend, that is the man of God in the house. That's the prophet of God in the house, and you need to listen. The one who has been anointed by God to minister before his altar, to speak on his behalf. When you become too familiar, you miss out on what God wants to do in you and for you. It's not just an Old Testament prophet's. In the New Testament, Matthew 13, verse 54, coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogues and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous power, they said. And notice what they say. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? 
aren't his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And what did they do? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his own town and in his own home. And he did not do many miracles there because their lack of faith. You see that? I'll tell you, that's the reason why a teenager can go to South America and pray for somebody and see God heal them. And in their home church, nothing happens. Because that's just Sally. That's just Jimmy. That's just Adam. That's just Isaac. No, whenever there's a disregard for the anointing that rests upon that person. It's amazing. People can go, they're like, well, the Spirit of God's moving there. No, there's something about the expectancy of the people. An evangelist can come in. How do a lot of them come in? They can come in and tell you something. You're like, oh, wow. And one of your Sunday school teachers, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, because God's anointing rests upon them, can tell you the same thing and you disregard it. Hmm? God's anointing, his spirit is just as powerful. Listen to me. His spirit can work just as powerfully through your brothers and sisters in the local church body as he can through any evangelist that lives. God's anointing, when God's spirit comes upon someone, he can touch and deliver, he can heal, he can set free, he can save. Among Naaman's servants, there was a wise man, a man of understanding. Verse 13, Naaman's servant went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young man. Notice this, that when Naaman did what the man of God told him to do and carefully followed his instructions, he got a breakthrough. He traveled down the road another 25 miles. Now he was ticked off. He was mad. I don't like what he said. But someone with a little bit of wisdom, a little bit of insight, pulled him aside and calmed down. Listen, if he had come up with some crazy idea for you to do, you'd have done that. Just do what he says and see what God does. Just follow his instructions. He dipped seven times. He didn't dip five. He didn't dip four. And when he dipped seven, and when he did, his flesh was restored and his skin was renewed like that of a young boy. I want you to know that God still has prophets in his house. God still speaks through his man, through his woman, a clear-cut word that will lead you to breakthrough. You hear that? God still has a clear-cut word that will lead you through breakthrough. We don't have to scream it either. Because when we speak by the authority of God's word, when you speak under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, whenever you speak those words, God has the power to bring it to pass. And so as he, as he spoke that clear-cut word, all across the land, the Lord has those, that faithful remnant, who have not bowed their knee to an idol, who have not turned away from the Lord. He has his people whom he speaks through. Verse 15, the Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God, He stood before him and said, now I know there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept this gift from your servant. The man of God wasn't doing it for money. He wasn't doing it for the gifts. That was not in his heart. But what an amazing thing takes place when people honor the messenger of God. When they honor him, they are honoring the one who sent him. When they despise him, they are despising the one who sent them. 
Elijah was not interested in their fancy clothes or their gifts. That anointing was not for sale, nor could it be bought. He was interested in pleasing and being faithful to the one who sent them. When you and I hear the word of God spoken through his servant, and when we obey, I want to encourage you to do this. When you are under someone who is in authority, when God has placed you somewhere where he has established authority for our teenagers in your home, it's been really cool as Landon and Logan are growing up. There's some things I tell them that I've been telling them for a while, but here's the reason why we do this. What is so cool is when those things start falling into place and they start seeing, wow, dad, now I see why you told me that. Yeah, dad. It used to be like, dad, you're, you know, I'd lecture them. You know, well, here's the reason why we do this. Here's the, what we're trying to accomplish. Here's, here's our goals. Here's the things we want to get done. But it's really cool when they start to see when dad tells them something, it usually leads them to victory. It usually leads them to a breakthrough. It usually leads them. And so for our young people, when your parents say something, there's something upon, in their life where there's an anointing. Your parents may not be perfect. Elisha wasn't perfect. None of God's servants are perfect. But when you listen to the man of God, when you listen to the voice that God speaks through them, because God uses them as his messenger, when you listen, Again and again, you see breakthroughs. When you hear the word of the Lord proclaimed here, don't just be a hearer of the word, be a doer of it. When you're in that Sunday school class and the word of the Lord is declared, take it. Don't obey partially, obey fully. Okay? If you don't want to go down and dip six times or seven times in another river, you may end up not getting your breakthrough. If you want to go to the Jordan and dip three times, you might not get your breakthrough. You need to fully obey the word of the Lord. And when you do, the whole world, here's the cool thing. The whole world begins to hear, now I know there is no God in all the earth except the God of Israel. When your kids begin to see you fully obeying, whenever they see you doing it, they're going to say, now I know who the true God is. Now I know who the true God is. Now, now I believe because I've seen what he does. Father, I pray in Jesus' name. I ask, Father, that you'd put upon this people a heart that would be fully devoted to you. That they would realize that you still have your prophets who have not bowed their knee to Baal. We look around us and we see all the confusion and stuff that's going on. But Lord, I just pray that you would cause us to realize that you still have a clear word that you speak through your people. You use your servants. You anoint them. And maybe, just maybe, they may be that servant whom you are speaking through. Let them be faithful, Lord, to obey you, to speak what you put upon their hearts. May they walk in a faith and a confidence that truly God can and will use them. That the things God is causing them to pray and the things God is causing them to say are not just their own words, but they're words that you have put upon their heart to speak to those around them, Father. Lord, may there not just be one or two prophets in the house, but God, I pray that you would raise up many who would declare the word of the Lord. I pray that each person who leaves this place that on their job, they would be the prophet of God represented in that house, Lord. Lord, in their neighborhood, that they would be the one who speaks on behalf of the Lord, not someone who's arrogant or prideful, but someone who has an ear that is attentive and simply says, speak, Lord, for your servant listens. 
And we'll thank you and praise you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you.